I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When Lean Mean Dancing Machine Martin Byerly goes missing in the heat of a Texas night. You know, we're trying to figure out why would somebody want to harm him. Everybody wants to know who crashed Martin's party. My first thought was that he'd probably been feeling somebody's wife's ass or something other at the bar and that somebody killed him. Police trace his last steps to a local watering hole. We're thinking that he picked up somebody at the bar, maybe was giving them a ride home. Maybe one of the femme fatales on Martin's dance card dealt him a fatal blow. The first thing that started crossing my mind was there's going to be a female involved. But anyone could have done the dirty deed. The local loony, the foxy flirt, or even the jealous boy toy. The Martin Byerly case was probably the first whodunit case that I can ever remember. We didn't have a clue. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? In Jasper, Texas, there's a little old saying that buzzes around town. If people don't know your business, they'll make up some for you. And in a town this small, it doesn't take much to get the rumor mill turning. I found out a long time ago that if you want to know what's going on in town, you need to have a barber, and you need to have a beautician and a bartender on your side. And there's someone in town who always seems to be at the center of the gossip. Jasper's very own ladies' man, 58-year-old Martin Byerly. Everyone knows someone who's been romantically linked with Martin. After all, rumor has it he's been hitched seven times. Maybe eight will be his lucky number. Clearly, Martin knows how to wine and dine them, but his daughter Crystal thinks it's all in good fun. Oh, he loved the ladies. <laughs> Every time I'd come and visit, he'd always have a new woman with him. And the ladies love Martin. A mechanic by day, Martin's engine revs loudest at night when he hits the club to bust a move. 
And when this life of the party's not on the dance floor, he's up on stage strumming a country song. Dad's favorite things were drinking, going to the bar, and he loved playing music. My dad was always fun-loving, easy to talk to. And there's one particular watering hole that Martin always frequents. When I would go see my dad, we would always go to his favorite bar at Jake's place. I guess you'd say he was popular because everybody knew who he was. Jake's is definitely the place where everybody knows Martin's name. This lovable Lothario is always in the spotlight. Little does he realize his light is about to burn out. Don't let his name fool you. Unlike his nerdy cartoon namesake, 25-year police vet Mike Poindexter is no joke. His all-business, all-the-time attitude has recently earned him a promotion from narcotics detective to lieutenant. And locals are so impressed with him, they've all but knighted Sir Poindexter. They call me Sir Pond because I work narcotics. I've actually had some of the people tell me, oh, well, you know, you're the, you're the street savior, so you're Sir Pond. And on Wednesday, October 3rd, 2007, it looks like Sir Poindexter may have to play White Knight once more. Before he can sip his morning coffee, Poindexter learns that Martin's estranged wife, Chloe, is certain he's missing. So sure, in fact, that Chloe's filed a missing persons report. I think she even made the comment, too, even if Martin was with someone else, he would have called me if I called him. So she was getting concerned about that. But since Lieutenant Poindexter knows Martin quite well, he isn't jumping to conclusions yet. It kind of went through my mind, well, you know, he went out and he drank too much. He's, he's going to show up. Uh, he's not going to really be missing. The leery lieutenant decides to take a trip to Chloe's house to get the full scoop. And when he arrives, the situation is more serious than he thought. Chloe hasn't heard a peep from Martin for days now. She seemed upset. She was concerned about what might have happened to Martin uh, because they were supposed to actually have a dinner date that Sunday uh, to discuss their, uh, their marriage and their relationship. Maybe Martin didn't want to talk turkey and simply decided to stand her up. But Chloe insists that's not what's going on, and she has proof. When Martin went AWOL, she went looking for him. She was actually riding around looking for his truck. By chance, she went out to get gas. She drove by the Payless shoe store, seeing the truck sitting on the end of the building. Chloe skipped the sale on pumps and beat feet over to Martin's 4x4. Strangely enough, Martin's truck doors were unlocked and his keys were in the ignition. She said he would never leave his key in the ignition. Even if he was just going to step inside a convenience store, he's going to kill the truck and lock it. Despite Chloe's concerns, she knows her party boy could be just about anywhere. So she takes his truck back to her abode for safekeeping. But Chloe's fears deepen when her wayward ex is a no-show at work on Monday and Tuesday. So she called the police. The thing about Martin is he never missed work. Uh, even his boss came in and says, look, Martin never misses work. Uh, he may go out and drink the night before and he may stay out to two or three o'clock in the morning, but at seven o'clock the next morning, he's gonna show up to work. Sure sounds like Martin isn't simply out looking for a bottle of aspirin to cure his hangover. 
So Poindexter checks out Martin's truck for himself. And what he sees on the vehicle's lower driver's side door is quite disturbing. We actually got down. Uh, we seen something on the bottom of the truck that looked like blood. It was just a small speck, but it had a, a red, dried red color to it. And the blood isn't the only clue this hawk-eyed cop spots. He also sees something shining on the vehicle's running board. There were some pieces of broken glass, uh, but there was no glass broken out of the vehicle. So we didn't know if that was from something that maybe was used in a fight. With evidence in his headlights, Lieutenant Poindexter relies on his street smarts to drive him down the right road. I guess you get what they call the sixth sense, that Martin was probably down on the ground, maybe gotten beat up and blood had splattered up on the vehicle. We got to think that maybe he could actually still be lying somewhere. If Lieutenant Poindexter does have a crime scene parked right here in front of him, a drive to the lab might be in order. So he calls for a tow, and he knows someone at the station who's always ready to give a lift. When Connie Jordan gets the call, she's game for finding Jasper's most spirited resident. And this cop shows why you don't mess with Texas. I think I'm a tough girly girl. I do like girly girl stuff. I like pink, but I'm also not scared to get dirty and get in there and, and mess with this stuff and horseplay with the guys. After Connie gets a closer look at Martin's rig, she immediately shifts the investigation into high gear. When we got the truck back to the police department, we decided to uh, go ahead and, and open everything up. And between the truck seats, she finds a lot more than loose change. We found blood in the seats, blood on the floorboard, blood on the carpet. It's not looking good for Martin. Chances are the blood is his and he's in big trouble. But why did Martin's wife miss this clue? The interior was a maroon color, so I guess she just didn't see that. If the blood inside the truck is in fact Martin's, police need to find a way to prove it. Luckily, Chloe knows just where to look. There was a cap in his room that she said that he wore to work every day. I knew that there was probably sweat and some DNA, you know, things that we could get out of that cap. So we collected that. When the report comes back from the crime lab, it confirms investigators' suspicions. Martin's DNA is an exact match to the blood in the truck. I was like, that just doesn't sound right. I was hoping that he was okay. I was sad because he's my dad. I don't think he would just up and vanish on purpose. Something had happened. Investigator Connie Jordan is thinking the same thing, and she won't let Crystal down. If something bad has happened to him and there's a bad person out there, we need to find them, we need to accelerate. And if Martin has met with foul play, who's to blame and why? We're trying to figure out why would somebody want to harm him or why would he just go missing like this without any clues? You know, if there's a female involved, possibly he tried something with her and it, it, it went bad from there. As they say, where there's smoke, there's often fire. Luckily, Chloe points police in the direction of the blaze. Martin's favorite hotspot, Jake's place. We started at that club. We knew that that was gonna be one of the key points, probably the last place that he had been seen. Investigators decide it's time to pop on by for Jake's famous happy hour. And their first order 
will be a round of questions. We're thinking it's a club, so there's going to be no telling how many people were there that we're, we're knowing who they are. But it's a shot worth chasing. We talked to the owner, and just by chance, if you was a member, you had to sign this list. So we pulled those lists, and we started just going one by one. On the list, an entire lineup of dancing queens ready to take center stage in this strange disappearance. But which one of them had an achy, breaky heart for Martin? Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. It's only been a few hours since Martin Byerly went missing. And already, his case is hotter than the alligator pits surrounding the catfish cabin eatery. Seems like everybody in town is chomping at the bit for information. Everyone from the local disc jockey to the town's mayor. That's because in Jasper, spinning records and politics are handled by the same man, Mike Lout. That's the news, that's the weather. KJAS I'm the uh, owner of KJAS Radio here in town. I'm a newsman. For the last three years, I've also served as the city's mayor. But there's another title topping this politician's playlist. Martin's dear friend. I knew Martin Byerly probably ever since I'm about 10 years old or so. His favorite thing was a, was a hot woman and a cold beer. And now, Mike Lout wonders if Martin's womanizing may have gotten him into a pickle. My first thought was that he'd probably been 
feeling somebody's wife's ass at the bar and that somebody killed him, you know, got jealous and killed him. Everyone in town knows that Martin's estranged wife, Chloe, has put up with his antics since they met. So they doubt Chloe finally decided to cook his goose. In fact, she was trying to work things out with him. But police wouldn't be doing their job if they didn't take a closer look at her. One of the first things you do in the investigation is you look at, you look at the spouse. You want to make sure that there's nothing that they have to gain by the person that's missing or deceased. A check into the couple's personal life shows Chloe had nothing to gain at all. Martin didn't have life insurance, and his bank account is nearly empty. I would say pretty quickly, 95% sure that Chloe had nothing to do with Martin Byerly's disappearance. On top of it all, Chloe has a rock-solid alibi. She was at her daughter's house, over 70 miles away from Jasper, when Martin went missing. So investigators scratch her off the list. With no suspects in hand, detectives head to Jake's, where Martin was last seen. Maybe someone in the crowd that Friday night was up to no good and had their eye on Martin. We found out that Martin had been at this club uh, from talking to the patrons, but a lot of them knew exactly who we were talking about. And they had already heard that he was missing before we did, just through the people talking in Jasper. While the customers are a bit foggy about who Martin was fraternizing with on Friday, many remember seeing Martin the night before with local loony Carmela Dawson, a name police are well acquainted with. There was a mental health warrant issued on Carmela that came through the sheriff's department. It's a warrant that you use if you're afraid a person's gonna hurt themselves or someone. Maybe that someone was none other than Martin Byerly. A lot of the people in the club and around town, they had told us that she had danced with Martin that night. Even had some people tell us that they, they thought they'd seen uh, them leave together. Did Martin's frivolous flirting with Jasper's most notorious loony lead to a deadly rendezvous the night Martin went missing? I could say that Carmela could have been a, a one-night stand gone wrong. They appeared to have liked each other. And then Carmela just kind of have an episode. Maybe Carmela decided to pour Martin a shot he wouldn't forget. So detectives decide to take a trip to her cuckoo's nest. And when police arrive, they realize it isn't far from Martin's final parking spot. She lived in the apartments that are right across the highway from the shoe store where the truck was found. It really made it even more important for her to be talked to. Coincidence. Maybe, but not likely. And when police first set eyes on Carmela, she certainly lives up to her reputation. She's got a one-way ticket to crazy town. She would begin to talk about hearing noises in the TV, and, and she would talk about staring at the TV where just the static would be on the TV, no pictures, just staticky looking. And she would talk about seeing herself die. It's hard for Poindexter to get a word in about Martin when he's dealing with a suspect who's stranger than a character in a Stephen King novel. And just when Lieutenant Poindexter thinks things couldn't get any weirder, they do. She kept bringing up the fact that she had a gun, and she kept telling me the gun was in her purse. And I'm thinking, the way this lady's acting, you know, if she, if she realizes why we're actually here, if we give it up too soon, 
and she gets to that purse before we do, it's not going to be good. So detectives decide to end this game of Russian roulette with what could be a smoking gun. We ask her permission to take custody of it because we're thinking if she did do something, this might possibly be the, the weapon she did it with. Only when the crazy talk finally subsides and detectives get Carmela to focus on Martin does she admit to being at Jake's place on Thursday night. When I began to talk to her about Martin Byerlich, she was very forthcoming about dancing with a man. She was very forthcoming about him buying beer for her. Carmela told us that after the night progressed, she decided to leave and, and left. And when she left, Martin was still at the bar. Perhaps the crowd at Jake's got it wrong, and Carmela really didn't leave with Martin on Thursday night. But that doesn't mean the two didn't cozy up later at her place after last call. So for now, Carmela remains on the hot seat. You don't want to just clear them completely. You always want to keep them in the back of your mind. You let the evidence and the things that come up lead you. And until then, Martin's daughter, Crystal, can only fear the worst. I always had this little bit of hope of just maybe that he would still be alive. Maybe he just took off and jetted somewhere else better. Deep down, I kind of knew. I mean, most missing people's cases just not end up good. Good thing Jasper's finest have an ace up their sleeve. Turns out, Carmela may not have been Martin's last dance. Seems he was cozying up to at least one other lady. We found a napkin in Martin's truck that had a phone number written on it. Someone Martin liked enough to call that Friday afternoon. At the time, we didn't know who it belonged to. And I thought, oh, this is a great piece to the puzzle. So police decide to collect on this call. And when they trace the number to a woman whose live-in lover has a criminal past, and then the couple fails their polygraph tests, it looks like this could be the deadly duo detectives are looking for. The Jasper Bulldogs are gearing up for another big game underneath the Friday night lights. But just one week after Martin's disappearance, police haven't found his body, and things are looking grim. Town Mayor Mike Loud is hearing the shockwaves all over town. And everybody wants to be Dick Tracy. Everybody wants to be a big investigator. They want to be find out what happened. They want to get to the bottom of it. Everybody talked about it. Luckily, police have found a cocktail napkin with a number that just might clean up the mess. When detectives ask around, they find the number belongs to a gal named Rose, who was budding with Martin on the dance floor. When we saw the phone numbers and started to put them together, we realized that that phone number that was on the napkin in the truck was the same phone number as Rose. And that just really, you know, perked our interest and made us look at her. And this Rose was no wallflower. Everyone at Jake's knows exactly what she's there for. She liked to go to the bars and hang out at the bars and be seen and hook up with men. When police ask Rose to come to the station, she's there lickety-split. Rose quickly spills the beans about her dance session with Martin. And what she says next, police have heard before. She too insists they were there on Thursday, not Friday. She admitted that she had been at the, at the club and had danced with Martin. 
But when I just directly asked her, you know, if she had anything to do with the disappearance, it was no. When police question Rose some more, she claims to know nothing about Martin's disappearance, saying she left the bar by her lonesome that night. But she admits that Martin called her the very next afternoon to grab a bite. She told us that he had called her on that Friday to ask her to dinner and that she had turned him down, that she was already at home and she was cooking dinner. From what Rose says, it was dinner for two, and the second plate wasn't for Martin. Turns out she has a brawny roommate named Lucas Adelson. And from what police hear, Lucas and Rose may be sharing more than rent. As I interviewed her and talked to her, I asked her who he was and asked her if that was her boyfriend. And of course she tells me, no, it's just a roommate. We're, we're not romantically together or anything like that. But because Rose seems fidgety and nervous, Lieutenant Poindexter thinks they may be secret lovers. After all, it takes two to tango. And one look at Rose's arm suggests that maybe the roomies did some dirty dancing. I'm looking at her, at her arm and there's a bruise that runs from the elbow underneath her arm all the way up to her armpit, a huge bruise. We wondered if maybe Lucas didn't like Martin asking for Rose's phone number at Jake's place and may have gotten mad. When police question Rose about the marks, she says a guy at a party over the weekend got fresh with her and grabbed her. But detectives aren't buying what Rose is selling. Her actions were so suspicious, and the way she was, it seemed like she wasn't telling the truth. She wasn't being truthful. Did Rose's flirting put Martin smack dab in the middle of a lover's quarrel? Police intend to find out. So they ask Rose if she's willing to take a polygraph to prove her significant someone had nothing to do with this. And she readily agrees. But her cooperation quickly turns against her. The test results show Rose is fibbing. In my mind, if you fail the polygraph, you either know about the crime I'm questioning you about or you're involved in it. And I mean, she didn't just fail the polygraph. The polygraph operator said she, he'd never seen anybody fail one as bad as she did. Despite the mountain of lies Rose is hiding under, Lieutenant Poindexter can't get her to admit she had something to do with Martin's disappearance. I'm thinking, I've got to break this lady down some way. She's not telling me the truth. And I'm thinking, she's better than I am. I cannot break this lady. But Lieutenant Poindexter refuses to quit. He thinks it's just a matter of time before Rose wilts. So detectives decide to bring her roomie into the station for questioning. And it turns out Lucas has also had his fair share of run-ins with the law. Adelson was a, a larger man. He did have um, some criminal activity in his record. He was a known drug user. He did appear to be, you know, more of a rough type person, a thug type person that, you know, could hurt someone. When Lucas starts talking, he insists everything Rose has told police is true, claiming the two were indeed home Friday night, eating a home-cooked meal. But Lucas's story has a sour taste. Main thing I remember about Lucas was he seemed uh, worried about things. 
He just seemed like there, there was something going on and he was a little worried about it. So police tell Lucas to put his money where his mouth is and take a polygraph test. And he obliges. But Lucas's results are as salty as Rose's cooking. Both of them failed the polygraphs miserably. And we were just, you know, we, we couldn't believe it. You know, we thought, these guys, this, this is it. They've done something. We were just like, you know, wow. Does Jasper have a real-life Bonnie and Clyde roaming the streets? Police suspect so. But they'll need to dig for some more dirt in order to prove that Martin was involved in a love triangle gone wrong. Fortunately, Lucas's sister is the first to break ground. She calls police with some telling information about her ne'er-do-well brother. Myself and Pornester uh, went to Lucas's sister's home to talk to her. She thought that maybe that Lucas could hurt someone. He had had lots of problems in his life, and she knew all about it being his sister. Looks like the siblings aren't that tight, because she even tells police Lucas was acting mighty strange around the time Martin disappeared. Lucas had purchased a gun a week before Martin went missing. It just seemed a little bit, you know, odd. And shortly after Martin was last seen, seems Lucas had a change of heart about his purchase. A week later, he's already trying to sell this gun to his brother-in-law. So to us, that seemed a little bit suspicious. You know, he had bought the gun, and he was wanting to get rid of it that quickly. Was Lucas's fire sale a sign of guilt? Detective Poindexter seems to think so. Lucas had the potential. Uh, he was protective of, of Rose. You could tell he was real protective of her. That's why I believe that they had more of a relationship than they wanted to admit that they had, for whatever reason. But he was protective of her. Detectives decide to take a trip to the lovebird's nest to search for clues. And when they arrive, police get some much-needed wind beneath their wings. While we were searching Rose's home and yard, we found a large pile of broken glass that appeared to be vehicle glass. And when we asked her about it, she had said that Lucas's vehicle had had a broken window, and that's what that was from. But detectives think otherwise. Just to the naked eye, it looked like the glass that I'd found on the running board of Martin's truck. And if the shards match, police may have their first solid clue to solving this one-of-a-kind caper. But which of the two could have cut Martin the deepest? The dancing daisy or the con with a killer crush? It's been weeks since anyone's seen Jasper's favorite midnight cowboy, Martin Byerly. And he's sorely missed around town. If this lone ranger has indeed yelled his last hi-ho silver, police will stop at nothing to unmask the villain behind his disappearance. To have a, a whodunit and not know who's involved or who might have done something to a person that gets real frustrating. This is a man that everyone knew. This is a man that had never really done anything to harm anybody, but yet he's missing. Luckily, investigators do have a crude couple on their suspect list. A woman named Rose and her live-in lover, Lucas. 
and their relationship status may have changed to complicated around the time Martin went missing. There's no doubt Rose and Martin were flirting with one another at Jake's place. And after a stroll through the couple's yard, police think they've found glass that matches the shards found on Martin's truck. When we found that glass, I thought, oh, just another, just another thing to go on your rock pile. You, you did this. So detectives sweep up the evidence and send the shards to the crime lab for comparison. But the results aren't what police hoped for. When the lab report came back on the glass analysis and it didn't match what we found in Rose's yard and what I found on the truck railing, I was disappointed. For now, it looks like these love doves are free to fly. After we got to a, a point where there wasn't really anything more we could do with, with Rose and Lucas, there was a sort of a lull and, and nothing new was coming up or coming out. But the two aren't flying freely just yet. Those two through this whole case has been my, my primary suspects. They're, she just fits the package for the person that done something to Martin. But we hit that dead end. It was a big bummer because it's like, where do I go to now? Investigator Jordan desperately wants to give the person behind Martin's disappearance his just desserts. But with the case cooking slowly, she turns up the heat in her own kitchen. I bake cakes. I like to bake a lot of different things and try different, you know, recipes. Connie's so gifted in the kitchen, her buddy, Mike Poindexter, asked her to whip up his groom's cake. I'm a big Texas Longhorn fan, so Connie, you know, she bakes me a Texas Longhorn cake for my wedding. Big cake with a little Texas Longhorn on it, and she's doing an excellent job on it. Back in the mix of Martin's case, detectives Poindexter and Jordan find themselves starving for information. Then, without a peep from Martin in eight months, his worried wife, Chloe, offers up some incentive to find her missing hubby. After it had been so many months and our leads were running out, um, everything was kind of in a lull. Chloe, Martin's estranged wife, decided to put up a $5,000 reward for any information on the whereabouts of Martin. Soon, the promise of riches buys just the kind of lead police were hoping to cash in on. 10 days after the reward is announced, a local resident phones the police station. We received a, a call from a gentleman named Hal Smith. And Hal claims he's made a shocking discovery. I believe he had found Martin Barley's body. But has Hal really found Martin, or is he looking for a handout? Now that he's approaching his golden years, maybe Hal's retirement fund has run dry. But after nine exhausting months of chasing dead-end leads, Lieutenant Poindexter thinks the senior may have the real deal. When I got a call about a body being found, in the back of my mind, I knew it was going to be Martin. And Lieutenant Poindexter can't help but wonder if the caller is their killer. And you think, okay, this person may be a, a person of interest. He's getting information about a person who's been missing for nine months, and just out of the clear blue, he finds a body. So police arrange a rendezvous with Hal at the police station. You get a hold of everybody and get everybody together. All of us officers, and along with Hal Smith, met up at the sheriff's office with understanding Hal was going to carry us to the area where the body of Martin Barley was supposed to be. 
And Hal has something else to say. He knows who killed Martin. He claims it was his son, Eric Wade Smith. When he gave me the name Eric Smith as the person that had killed Martin Byerly, I'd never heard that name before. Uh, he was totally off the grid. Dad tells the detective Eric is 36 years old and a sometimes employed handyman who lives right in Jasper. But is Hal a dirty dog simply trying to frame his own flesh and blood to collect some reward money? He's kind of a hard cowboy type, uh, real rough around the edges. As far as being known in the community, I don't think he was, you know, like a well-known person that, you know, community-oriented person. But was Hal such an uncaring father that he'd turn on his own son? What I learned about Hal Smith through the investigation, uh, I would definitely say he would be capable of doing something like that. He didn't really care if he had to give his son up to collect that money. Police have to wonder, did Eric really kill Martin? Or is Hal their man? And if this fiasco of a family is at the root of Martin's disappearance, why? Could there be a darker side to Martin, a secret life that's the key to solving his murder? Police in Jasper, Texas have looked into dozens of leads since Martin Byerly disappeared several months ago. But when local man Hal Smith says Martin is six feet under and his son Eric dug the grave, detectives tell Hal to take them to the site. When I was driving down this road, knowing that I'm, I'm fixing to find or possibly review the remains of a man that I've been looking for for nine months, you're excited. I wanted to get there as quick as I could. Uh, it's like I, I didn't have time to talk to anybody. I just wanted to be there. When Poindexter arrives at the supposed dump site, he quickly spots signs of Jasper's lost ladies' man. When we got there, if you were walking down the road and seen it, you would think it was someone had just thrown some garbage out, some old clothes out in the, in the edge of the woods. Discarded duds that look awfully similar to Martin's. And Martin Byerly always wore Wrangler blue jeans when he went out, starched, stiff jeans. When I seen those jeans, I just, I knew, I just knew that's, that's going to be Martin Byerly's body. And when Poindexter takes a closer look at what's next to the jeans, it's a sad sight. The body was wrapped in sheets and like a bedspread off of a bed. You could see uh, that it had all been tied up with uh, some type of nylon string around the body. Police aren't worried about the thread count. Their only concern is who's wearing these bedclothes. When it's a crime scene where you find a body, but you do feel a relief. And then when I went on down and I pulled back the blanket and I saw his skull and I could see his hair, then I started, I, I felt sad. Police collect the remains and send them to the lab. Everyone's worst fears are confirmed. It's Martin. It's a bittersweet moment for investigator Connie Jordan. I don't know if we would have ever found Martin where he was. There was nothing back there, no reason for someone to go back there to happen to find Martin. And now cops are determined to find out how and why Martin ended up out here in the dirt. If Hal's son Eric is indeed to blame, why would he have wanted Martin dead? To learn the answer, police race to find Eric. 
We found out that Eric lived not very far from the police department, uh, just a couple of blocks away, actually. Looks like the Jasper PD has a real-life nightmare next door on their hands. And Eric has a criminal record to boot. Eric has spent most of his young life and a lot of his adult life in prison for robberies and thefts and drugs. He had just gotten out of prison for an aggravated robbery where he had stolen an elderly man's wallet, of all things. It appears Lieutenant Poindexter finally has his man. But when police take the short trip over to Eric's house, Martin's alleged killer sure doesn't look like the hard-nosed criminal investigator Connie Jordan has envisioned all this time. I just had it in my mind he was a monster. When he walked out of that house, it just was not what I expected at all. He came out quietly, had his head hung down. It just, it wasn't what I expected at all. Over at the station, Eric tells police he has no idea why his very own dad is accusing him of murdering someone he claims he didn't know. Still, investigators are convinced he's guilty, so they keep at him. And over three hours into questioning, Eric caves. If I tell you something, it's going to be all in court. But nobody's going to believe me. Eric claims it all started at a local motel. He was living there for weeks, high on drugs, when one night, Martin came looking for a room. He asked me if I wanted some drugs. I said, yeah. He gave me 100 bucks and his truck keys. No one got drugs. Martin had his vices, but police doubt he was into crack cocaine, as Eric claims. He insists there's a lot detectives don't know about Martin. A man Eric says was far from a gentle cowboy. Besides doing drugs, Eric says Martin wanted something more. Come back, and he was doing it. He had a long buck knife. He pulled it out and put it up to my neck and told me, take my clothes off. Police are skeptical that the ladies' man went after Eric, but the druggie swears that's what went down. And I ran to the bathroom, and he was coming to me, so I picked up a brick. And I darted at him, hit him with it. He got up, so I grabbed the sprue out and stabbed him. Eric's story seems full of holes. Police just don't believe Eric killed Martin in self-defense. And as pleased as they are to finally have a confession, Jasper County Prosecutor Steve Hollis has no choice but to sink his teeth into Eric's story. I felt like this statement that he gave to Mike Poindexter uh, was sort of a template for the whole case. And you could believe portions of it, and that didn't mean you had to believe the whole thing. So Steve sets his sights on proving Eric's lying in court. I think it was pretty clear in what he was trying to do, which was just try to save his own skin. And the jury agrees with Hollis. On June 18, 2009, they find Eric Smith guilty of murder, and he's sentenced to life in prison. But one question remains. How did that fateful night unfold? Steve Hollis thinks it went down like this. Martin Byerly, after a night on the town, after having a few drinks, he just, for whatever reason, wasn't ready to go home. He goes to this motel because there's people there. He likes to socialize. 
Unfortunately for Martin, Eric Smith is set to crash his party. Eric Smith saw him as, as an easy mark, as someone that he could uh, rob pretty easily. So Eric offers Martin a bed for the night. And after Martin passes out drunk, Eric tries to steal his wallet. But Martin wakes up and spoils his plan. I can't say whether he hit him with the cinder block first or stabbed him with the screwdriver. I just know that he did both of those acts and he wasn't justified by any stretch of the imagination in doing so. Then Eric places Martin in the truck and drives to a remote field where he dumps the body. And soon after, Eric abandons the truck in the Payless parking lot. Eric claims he acted alone, but investigators have a feeling his dad, Hal, helped and later ratted him out for the reward money. It's just my opinion. I believe that Hal Smith helped Eric Smith move Martin Byerly's body from the motel room. We've never been able to prove that, but Martin Byerly was a pretty large man. But Eric Smith never gives up his pop. So for now, Poindexter's theory is just another story for the Jasper rumor mill. As for Martin's daughter, Crystal, she's comforted that justice has been done. And when he was convicted, yes, I was very, I guess, relieved. That way he couldn't do this to somebody else. Now, the residents of Jasper can go back to gossiping about safer subjects. But one thing's for sure, the bar scene in this town will never be as lively. I miss Martin's laugh. If you ever went to a bar in Jasper, within a short time, you knew Martin was there. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.